independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. As my conception of what the garden is has grown, like it's bust out of those walls that I put up and it's it's overflowing it's it's flooding over my conception of of the garden is really flooding and encompassing the whole earth and so if if I'm going to be gardening like my gardening now includes is of course plants and soil it includes people it includes politics it includes the economy it includes finances and it includes emotions and it includes our relationships like it's all the garden Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to holistic healing, ecological regeneration, and true abundance and wellness for all. This is a community-backed show, so as we enter this new year, we kindly ask for your direct support today, if you can, at patreon.com slash greendreamer, or through purchasing our fundraising planners at greendreamer.com slash shop. Today's episode is part two of our two-part conversation with farmer Rishi, who takes us deeper here to understand the true power and role of relational shifts and language. Here, we're picking up where we left off in the previous episode. Enjoy. Whenever I share posts on things that encourage mindset shifts, I almost always get comments from people asking like, but what does this mean practically? So what do I do differently? And this mm-hmm. internal work is so foundational to your approach as an educator. So I'm wondering how you would respond to such questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what do I do practically? Tell me, tell me what to do. Right. Yeah. Like I just tell, you know, I'm very frank with people. Like it's really up for you to decide what to do in any situation you are the last arbiter of of your actions, right? Like you get to decide. And so all my job is as a teacher is to is to kind of open you up to ideas and open you up to possibilities and introduce new concepts to you. If you take my gardening classes, they're not they're not classes where I give you a decision tree and you say like, okay, if the tree is like this, do this. And if the tree is like this, do this. That's not how I how my classes go at all. Right, my classes are about okay. What's your relationship to this tree? What would you like your relationship to be? What is the tree telling you at this moment? Like, what are the signals that you're getting from the tree? And given your situation, given your context, given the relationship that you have, can you look inside yourself and can you and can you listen to what's you know the tree is telling you? And can you make a decision about what's the you know what's the appropriate way to move forward how can how can you respond to what the tree is telling you what the tree is asking of you you know it's more about coming to that conversation than me telling them this is what you need to do right and 
And people who, who are asking, what does that translate into practically? They're still stuck in that kind of dead worldview where you cannot ask, right? Like you cannot ask the plant, you cannot ask the soil, you cannot ask the person in front of you what, what they're needing, right? And so moving to this view, this indigenous worldview of we live in a living world and we can be in conversation with anything, anyone within that living world, whether that's a tree or the soil or a stone or a squirrel or, and also just like the people who you know how to communicate with. Like when we, when we're in that living world, then everyone can, everyone is speaking and we can listen. And it's just about, can we open ourselves to listening and can we be humble and recognize that like we can't figure out what needs to be done just by asking ourselves we can figure out what needs to be done when we converse with those those beings around us mm. a lot of the perspective shifts that you've made for yourself and that you teach is really taking on a more animistic perspective which some in anthropology label as a belief system held by many indigenous cultures though one I feel is more decentralized and place-based as opposed to the more organized and centralized religions that came later on. Given how sensitive and personal this topic may be, you are, of course, very mindful in your course to not push people to have to take on these views in your course, and you recognize that they may not necessarily resonate with some people or may feel strange to certain others. I don't know your religious views and how much you'd be able to speak to this, but do you see this sort of animistic way of relating to Earth as one that is at odds with people's differing pre-existing religions based on maybe your experience with people you've spoken to or students that have come from different backgrounds in your course? Well, number one, people are not one thing, right? Like, even when someone identifies with a religion, they may not identify with that religion completely. And what I mean by that is that sometimes you may find that people say that they're one thing, but then with their actions and with their daily rituals, you actually find that they're doing something that is different, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, if you were to ask most people, are they animists? Do they believe that everyday objects are alive and embodied with spirit? They would say no. And yet, if you watch how most people act, most people talk to their cars, most people talk to their TVs, you curse at some machine for, for not working the way that it's supposed to. And of course, you know, we all grow up, especially when we're younger, we, we speak to our, our teddy bears and we speak to our invisible friends. And so I find actually that if you kind of point this out to people, that this is not actually so strange that we actually speak like this all the time, that we we often recognize the, the life in the so-called objects of our life very regularly and very like nonchalantly. Just pointing that out may open up people to, to this understanding, even when in their thinking mind, they disagree with what you're saying. I usually, what I do is just, I just point out from this gardening perspective, how I came to this realization and 
what I understood is that we were making compost piles at our farm. And in this compost pile, like if you listen to most people who teach composting, they say you collect all the dead stuff, right? You collect all the dead leaves, you collect all the dead branches, you collect the manure, and you put it together. And then suddenly all this dead stuff comes to life, right? And to me, like, looking at these compost piles and looking at what I was putting in and what was coming out, I started to realize that none of it ever seemed dead. It seemed that, you know, if I were to take off all the lenses of understanding that I was given by our culture or by science, if I were to just look at what's happening in front of me, I would, I would never assume that, that anything in front of me is dead. If I were to just actually look at it with my own eyes, I would say that there's life happening at all times. And I even start, and I, again, I, I began to look to the words, and I realized that we often speak of life and death as opposites. But my experience in the world was that death is when this form, a body, a form, falls apart. And the word that we use for form coming together is birth. So to me, it started to make more sense to speak of birth and death and to speak of birth and death as part of life. Right? So if birth and death are part of life, then when something, when someone goes through death, that doesn't mean that life left them or that they left life. It means that life includes birth and death and life is continuous and singular and and never ends so life is essentially in constant transformation as the earth is in constant transformation mm-hmm. with all of this said i know it depends on what each person does with these invitations to see the world in a different way and it's not necessarily your place to prescribe to people what that would look like but in the bigger picture if the greater environmental movement were to collectively mostly take on these perspective shifts that you speak to, how do you think that would change our approach to dealing our ecological crises and climate change? Well, number one, you'd have to change the name of your movement because there's nothing that environs you. This is... uh, Environmentalism? (laughs) Yes. The word environmental is, is kind of at odds with this system of this way of understanding and I think it would just become, and this, you know, this has been my process too. I think if if we were to embody these ideas, we would find that we would have to keep bringing more and more of this world into our understanding, and more and more of this world into our conception of what needs to change. Because I think what I've, what you see, and what you've seen with environmentalism, like environmentalism, has been very narrow in its focus it's been very narrow in its understanding. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, environmentalism has primarily focused on, like you say, like we mentioned before, reducing our footprint, protecting, saving, putting fences and, and drawing lines and putting borders around these areas which are nature and saying this needs to be protected because this is nature. And, you or know, wildlife conservation wildlife the wild <laughs> conservation we need to just keep 
everything here as it is. Nothing is allowed to change. Or we need to go back to some previous time where things were nature, where things were natural. I think if we were to change this more embodied worldview, actually, the uh, last thing I want to say, too, on that is, is environmentalism has not included people, right? So it has not in included the inequities and the racism that people have experienced over the last you know, several hundred years through colonialism, right? Like, that's why the environmental movement is so overwhelmingly white because people were not on their agenda. People were not part of the environment. People were not part of nature. So the healing of people, the protection of people, that was not on the agenda. And if we move to a more embodied conception of, you know, that we are this earth and that we're in a state of hurt and a lot of us have experienced significant traumas and those traumas are actually preventing us from uh, we're, we're, we spend our days managing these traumas instead of spending our days in healing community with this, with each other and with this planet. I think if we were to start addressing this, like you said, holistically and saying, to heal the soil, I need to heal myself. I need to heal my relationships. I need to do what I can to support and uplift the people who have been you know, the most oppressed, the most abused by the system. Like if I have any privilege, if I've been given anything, like I need to, to do what I can for those people. So what I find myself doing with my own work and my own teaching and my own classes, like I'm, I tell my students, I'm either continuously folding more and more into my garden or I'm continuously expanding my garden to include more and more of this earth. Right, like I used to be so focused on the soil and the plants because that was nature and that was the environment and that's what needed to be fixed or helped. And as my conception of what the garden is has grown, like it's bust out of those walls that I put up and it's it's overflowing, it's it's flooding over my conception of, of the garden is really flooding and encompassing the whole earth. And so if if I'm going to be gardening, like my gardening now includes, it's of course plants and soil, but it includes people, it includes politics, it includes the economy, it includes finances, and it includes emotions, and it includes our relationships. Like it's all the garden, right? So that's where I'm seeing that people who are, are passionate about bringing balance back to this earth, like you really can't put anything outside of what it is that you care about like if you care about earth like you got to care about everyone on earth right and to this point i also have wondered if the field of environmentalism has traditionally been dominated by primarily white men because environmentalism came from or emerged from this worldview of separation and that comes from like the colonized mind and the colonized mindset. So right now, I feel like what a lot of people are trying to do is diversifying this white space of environmentalism, but that is still ultimately rooted in that story of separation rather mm -hmm. than returning to a story of integration and embodiment. 
So, for example, if we're talking about indigenous rights, that has always included the health of their ecosystems because that cannot be separated from cultural revitalization, that cannot be separated from food sovereignty, that cannot be separated from their traditional cultural practices because it's all one, essentially. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's diversifying the colors of skin of the people practicing environmentalism is not going to change the fundamental structure that environmentalism creates, right? Like it's not going to change the theory of change. We need to, we need to change the theory of change. Right. And that happens from integrating, like you said, right? Like, and from realizing that it's not even integrating, right? It's just like realizing the wholeness. That's part of this change is like, it's not something that, that we need to do. It's more something that we need to realize, you know, Mm -hmm. that we need to realize what's already in front of us it's interesting too if you look at like even with like regenerative agriculture right now like so many people are are jumping on this you know regenerative agriculture as the solution to to climate change in the environmental world and of course as a you know gardener and a farmer i know that there are really powerful benefits to these systems of farming and I also noticed that if you look at indigenous cultures, the things that they've been asking for for centuries, you know, if you look at what are they even working on right now? It's like taking down dams, right? Like removing dams for a lot of indigenous cultures is really important. Removing barriers to animal migrations, right? You look at the, there's such a focus on in the regenerative agriculture view of cattle grazing and and having all these farmers take up holistic cattle grazing. Well, what indigenous people want is they want all of that land returned to their management and they want all the borders and all the fences taken down so that the bison can roam the plains again, right? And if the bison's roam the plains again, we don't need electric fences and we don't need capital investments in this like modern techno farmers technologies what we need is is a recognition that property is not private that the earth cannot be owned and we need a recognition that we that the earth does not belong to us but we belong to the earth And finally, what is your call to action for our listener? Do you have some sort of prompt or exercise that you'd like to invite them to engage with so they can keep letting this discussion marinate after listening to this interview? Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing that you can do to to really start to understand some of these concepts is is really actually just to get in get in relationship with those with those beings that you've been told you don't have a relationship to and get into a caring relationship with those beings. And so that's, you know, that's for me why like I, I love teaching people to garden is because it's a way that you can, it just breaks down so many barriers in your mind, you know, especially in this, if you've been living in this world of environment, environmentalism for so long, like you have this, you probably have this idea that, you can't do anything 
to help the earth. You know, you can't do anything to, you know, you can only reduce your footprint. You can only reduce the amount of carbon you emit. And so what I would ask you to do is, is to get in a relationship with some plants, get in a relationship with some soil and see that actually with your day-to-day actions, with your day-to-day, in your day-to-day life, you can actually do something that is offering care to the other beings on this earth with you. And it can be so simple, right? Like it can be a potted plant that, you know, you make your smoothie in the morning and then you, as you rinse out your blender, you take all that like smoothie goodness that's on the side of the blender and you mix it with water and you use that water to nourish the plant in the pot in your bedroom. And you take your food scraps and you put, you know, you get a little worm bin and you feed your food scraps to the worms. And then you take that worm poop and you put it on your plants. And you you come, you start to recognize that we all live in these cycles and that you cannot exit the cycle. There's no way for you to exit the cycle. The cycle may be a little bit like, far seem far away and difficult to understand but you're still in it and you can you know the process of gardening is really about bringing that cycle home in front of you so that you can see it and you can see that oh oh, this is how it works right like oh this is this is how this system functions right and this is my role in this in this cycle and it can really be so close in front of you and then you can start to see that you know, then you'll start to look at this all that you've been told and start to really pick out what's what's true and what's BS because there's so much BS out there. And, and I think this is like a really important process to just find what's find truth in a world where truth seems to be so elusive. And I would I, the last thing I would say is that you know as you come into these relationships with these other beings of your garden recognize that you are a being of your garden and that you need care and you need attention and and you can provide yourself with that care and attention and that yeah you can take a 40 minute bath to heal yourself and that is healing the earth right because you are deserving of that water and that water wants to be with you and it wants to heal you so take a bath and don't feel guilty about it because there's nothing to feel guilty for. What is an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? Can I say Green Dreamer podcast? <laughs> if you mean it. <laughs> so flattered. I mean, definitely your your account is is on my list. I've I have this book I found just at a used bookstore. I think it's called Touches of the Earth. And it's just like little writings and speeches from Native American leaders, you know, going back a couple hundred years. And it's just been really eye-opening for me to see the way that 
they're just so specific with their words and their language is so powerful and the way that they view themselves and the earth you know it really gives you an eye into it gives you eyes into a different world and a different way of seeing the world what do you tell yourself to stay motivated and inspired oh shit (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what do i tell myself i tell myself there's no ending there's no ending i'm trying to prevent there's no end i'm trying to get to it's just you know to stay present take a breath try to enjoy the moment that you have in front of you and your every action isn't life or death so dire it's you know you can relax and what makes you most hopeful for our world at the moment what makes me most hopeful is the understanding that we live in cycles and that no matter what we do, no matter what happens, this is just a dip in the cycle. And there's nothing we can do to stop that inflection point from coming. There's nothing we can do to stop the healing from happening. I've, I think I just wrote this in my journal this morning. As, you know, there's, the healing is inevitable. My healing is inevitable. So I don't need to be too worried about too worried about the there's no right there's no end point so I don't need to be too worried about anything mm. so it's healinggardens.co to check out rishi's project and i'm gonna butcher the pronunciation but sarvodayainstitute.org your nonprofit. if you want to share a bit about that too yeah our, our nonprofit. We're we're here la based primarily we are just trying to help people start gardens so we have a we have a far we have a couple demonstration gardens that we maintain here in the LA area that people can visit. We have events when there's you know not a global pandemic happening, uh, and uh, we have a nursery and a store. But we're also you know we try to we have uh, an online program for for people anywhere in the world. You can sign up to support us through our website by becoming a member for just $5 a month. And if you sign up for membership, you can join our monthly online gardening lesson for free. And we change the lesson topic every month and just try to keep it, you know, keep new info and new practices coming out so that people can continue to contribute to the health of their gardens and expand their, their gardening world. So if you're interested in just kind of tagging along and uh, supporting us, you can become a member and, and learn how to garden with us. Well, that is a wrap, but this conversation was full of wisdom. What final words of wisdom do you want to leave us with as green dreamers? I'll just say that, in, you know, in, I think these, these times can feel really tense and really worrisome. And my words of wisdom would be that it is okay to relax. It is okay to to just you know take it day by day, and we don't need to be in any rush to save anything. Just let's say if if there's anything you can do, just be with yourself, be with your friends and family, and uh, yeah, try to find that that joy every day. 
Green Dreamer, we've come full circle here. If our show has moved you, we'd love to get your direct support at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Today's intermission song featured is Souvenir by Irini Skylakaki. Our audio producer is Scott Donnell, and I'm your host, Kamea Shane. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you soon in the next episode. <laughs>